You're listening to episode 130 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a podcasting coach, lifestyle entrepreneur, and a Canadian with a sense of curiosity and adventure, always asking more questions and using stories to connect with and positively impact others. Here on the Room to Grow podcast, we're going deep into big topics like relationships, mental health, business, confidence, lifestyle, personal development, and entrepreneurship, and being open, honest, and real about how to learn from tough lessons along the way when life throws you into the unexpected. I bring you thoughts and guests with stories that will change the way you look at the world and yourself so that we can learn from each other and grow with lots of self-love and compassion every step of the way. There's always more room to grow. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. Emily here and guys, I am so excited about today's interview. I know that I've said this a handful of times before, but this is one of my favorite episodes yet. I absolutely loved having today's guest on. He was such a delight. And yes, it's a he, uh, as you may have noticed from the title, which is very rare on this podcast. This is only the second time I have ever invited a male onto this podcast. And after you listen to this interview, you will understand why it was so necessary to be able to bring him on. This episode is a little bit longer than usual, and it is 100% worth every minute of listening time. Uh, I'm also usually normally very strict on recording in terms of sound quality, but for this episode, we decided to just fully embrace the Balinese lifestyle. We recorded it, uh, at my villa and you can hear, you know, some of Bali in the background, like some scooters and palm trees rustling and stuff. It is actually super magical and it was just a really cool experience, just totally different from what I usually do. Uh, I kind of decided to do a Super Soul Sunday version of this via Oprah because for anyone who's ever listened to Oprah's Super Soul Sunday podcast, she records outside in her backyard and you can hear, you know, the, the trees rustling of her favorite oak tree and stuff and it's just amazing. So that's how we decided to kind of do this interview. Um, I'm going to try and keep my more formal intro of Tom a little bit shorter this time because he does such a beautiful job at walking us through some of the most significant portions of his story and how his experiences have shaped where he is today that I want you to hear it directly from him. Uh, this interview style is a little bit very, it is kind of different for me as well. I really let Tom take the reins and just kind of lead us through his journey a little bit rather than uh, asking him quite as many questions as I normally would because he was ju just doing a fantastic job letting us in on his journey himself. Tom has well over 15 years experience in the fitness industry and he moved from the UK in his mid-20s to the US and stayed there for 10 years, totally crisscrossing the country, opening a boxing gym called Fight for Your Life in Salt Lake City and then ended up becoming a sought-after strength and conditioning coach in New York City. After moving back to the UK four years ago, he created Glove London, a pop-up boxing gym that was rapidly growing when he received a cancer diagnosis almost exactly one year ago today that changed everything. His personal mission in the fitness space has revolved around creating safe, inclusive spaces that will serve anyone of any possible age or fitness level and teaching people to use fitness to positively impact their mental health. When Tom received the cancer diagnosis, he ended up in a very dark place mentally, and he's sharing with us the messy journey of healing and some of the ways he's turned things around and the daily practices he implements and tries to model for others that keep him healthy and happy other than just moving to Bali. <laughs> we talk about the power of a smile, which I absolutely loved. Uh, we talk about taking the aesthetics out of fitness and instead taking advantage of the amazing mental health benefits that it has to offer, really changing the priorities there. 
the importance about talking about your feelings, especially as a male, which can be particularly difficult given a lot of old stigmas that many of us have continued to hang on to. And the fact that the male suicide rate is three to four times higher for men than for women in the Western world. Tom shares this whole idea around having a personal toolbox as well of things that make you happier and battle depression and share some of what works best for him in his own life. We also get into how toxic masculinity is perpetuated and what we can do to combat the negative practices that come with it from the standpoint of both men and women. Tom was just incredibly generous with his time and his energy and most importantly, really sharing what's on his heart in an incredibly powerful way that has a massive impact on anyone he comes into contact with, both virtually and in person. I've witnessed this in real time when somebody comes into the gym a little bit down and after an interaction with Tom, usually including one of his giant smiles, they're already brighter and have a more positive energy to them when they walk away. I don't want to hold this up any longer. I want you to get to know Tom. So let's dive in. Hey everybody. This, this is weird for me doing an in-person one. <laughs> uh, so I'm here with a real live guest. Um, and we are doing this outside. So before you start asking about all of the weird noises, we decided to Oprah this super soul Sunday style. And we are outside, uh, at my villa by the pool in Bali. It's not a bad setup. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> this is very Balinese. Very Balinese. Yeah. So Tom, introduce yourself. Hello. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, my name is Tom, Tom McClelland. Do I need to say my second name or just Tom? <laughs> Um, we'll, we'll you might know you notes. might know me as that guy Tom. Um, I am originally from London. I'm a coach, personal trainer. Um, hate the word personal trainer, but uh, I do too, actually. Yeah, especially with your level of experience, it seems below you. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and also I feel like PT or personal trainer, it it they it's sur surrounded by some negative kind of. Um, you know, the, I think people pigeonhole personal trainers as kind of being arrogant or, you know, often a little bit loud or, um, you know, will berate you if you eat a brownie or something like that. And I'm just not that person. Well, in the loud part, I did hear you yelling from the street in the bodybuilding class the other day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you got me. I am loud, yeah, yeah. But, but loud in a nice way. La yes, it was yeah. in a nice way, it was yeah. in a nice way, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely not gonna berate anyone for eating a brownie, that's for sure. No, yeah. no, 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 we don't do that here. No, we do not, no. We eat lots of brownies here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, tell us a little bit about how you ended up in Bali, and you have a really interesting story um, in terms of your kind of life journey over the last 10 to 15 years. 10 to 15 years, yeah, <laughs> quite some time. How far back shall I start? You can start wherever <laughs> you I want. Go back we to, have time. Yeah, we have um, to, everyone always asks that. They're like, well, should I start when I was like born? <laughs> yeah, so I was born. I believe it was about 11.15 now. So um, I, uh, I'll probably start from when I went out to America when I was about 24 years of age. Um, I was in London and I wasn't happy in London. I was doing the PT thing, personal training. I was working in gyms. Um, I also never really felt like I fit in. Um, I felt like I needed to be somewhere else. I didn't know where it was that I wanted to be, but I just never felt like that was the place that I wanted to be. So I kind of booked a one-way ticket to America to go and explore and see and see where it would take me and after moving to a few places I ended up in Salt Lake City Utah 
Um, this is like the shortened version, just because I could go into each place in a lot of detail and what moved me on from each place. You've been but all over the States, let's put it that way. All over the States, yeah. yeah all yeah. over, West Coast to East Coast. And I, I ended up in Salt Lake because of the mountains to snowboard and sort of, you know, winter sports. And I was there over a winter. Um, and during that time, I just fell in love with it and decided that I wanted to stay. And so I started doing some PT out there and working at a gym. And within maybe seven months, I decided to open a gym. And so I didn't have any money <laughs> to do that. <laughs> so I went and got a loan um, from a, like a micro funded loan from a bank, um, made a business plan, which which I looked at not that long ago and I can't believe that I got a loan off of it because <laughs> it, was not, it wasn't well put together, but they gave me money. So, and I did it on a shoestring. I opened this gym on nothing. Um, I opened a location um, in a tiny, like in a strip mall, kind of just one small space. I had some punch bags. I had a, little, a few pieces of equipment, not a lot. Um, and the idea was to create this boxing fitness studio that um, that I believe was sort of open to anyone anyone to, who, who wanted to come and train and I sorry from being in like the industry for quite some time I just felt like it it needed to be more inclusive and less exclusive and and being inclusive meant allowing kind of opening up the doors to anyone that wanted to come and train or or work out and so I called it fight for your life because obviously there was a boxing element to it, um, but I wanted it, I felt like everyone had a different thing they were fighting for. And so I kind of wanted just to create this space where whatever it was that you were fighting for, whether it was fighting to be happier, fighting you know, to, to, for, for your mental health or fighting for weight loss or whatever it was, then that was your thing. And, and I was just gonna create that space where you could come and do that. Um, and it grew really quickly. And so I had to move into a bigger location within the first six months. That's incredible. And I was really lucky to have, it was really lucky, the landlord that I, um, the landlord owned another property right next door. So I sort of moved into the bigger property, um, brought on some coaches, uh, brought in some, uh, some other trainers and had, and we moved into a bigger space where we we're actually, actually able to coach boxers as well. So, which was great because I, um, you know, it, 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 it allowed us to kind of bring in, you know, underprivileged kids and kids who needed help. And so it was like another extension of fighting for your life because these kids were literally, is all they had was boxing. So they could, they could fight, literally fight for their life, you know, and as opposed to the other people just doing something to better themselves. But it all was just about living a better life. So I then moved into a, a, bigger, a bigger location within the second year, and I was in a 2,500 uh, square foot warehouse wow. with a boxing ring and a, a huge amount of space. And we used to host boxing matches there, um, lots of community stuff, and it was huge. But I was 26 years old, and I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. I knew what I want. I knew what I wanted to get 
out of the gym. I knew what I wanted to create, but it, maybe it was the wrong place in Salt Lake. Maybe it just wasn't ready for something like that. But I just wasn't making enough to live a really, like, you know, I, I was living out there, but I, I wasn't turning a big enough profit for it to be, for the amount of work that I was putting into it. Mm-hmm. And I guess um, I just didn't understand as much you know it was giving me so much back in terms of my fulfillment and what I was doing for other people Um, but I was only thinking about it from the profit side of things at that time because I was young and I wanted to I thought all I wanted to do was have a big successful business and make loads of money but also help people at the same time so I was just like (laughs) what do I do what do I do Um, so I made this sort of very quick decision to to take off to uh, New York after a quick conversation with a friend of mine, I decided to move. So I moved to New York and then I became a a personal trainer in New York. And my career sort of elevated very quickly there with the clients that I had and the people that I was training. And um, I stayed there for six years and it was completely different to what I was doing before, which was about you know, helping people and the whole fight for your life thing. All of a sudden I was in New York where people were only concerned about having abs and looking good. And I kind of got sucked into it and that, you know, into that whole lifestyle. And I think I lost sight of what it was that I was doing and and what my message was and what my ethos was on training. And um, something happened there where I kind of, uh, I met uh, a, a guy that I was um, started coaching out there. I met, and it became a really good friend of mine. And his, his name was Brett Kilrow. And Brett Kilrow was sort of no one has probably have never heard of him, but he was a um, illustrator and um, he did artwork for um, albums, like album artwork for musicians. And you never heard, you might have never heard of him, but he was. He, he's done some of the most iconic um, pieces of artwork oh, wow. on albums that you've probably ever seen. Um, the old Dirty Bastard um, welfare card, uh, which, you know, is, is, is iconic. He did um, the, the Strokes, um, the, the, the album artwork, which, which was banned, which was originally like a, just a bum with a hand on it. I remember that. Um, and it was incredible. <laughs> so, so he did these, and he worked closely with the Kings of Leon and did all their, he was their art director and did all their shoots and their uh, music videos and everything. An incredible guy. He walked into the gym that I was working at in New York and in our first conversation, he told me that he had um, stage four liver cancer. And I was like, okay, holy shit, you know, well, what's, what's gonna happen? And he, he, he's like, well, I'm gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to die on the sofa. Mm. And he'd never been in a gym before, but this was the time that he chose to come to the gym. Really? With this sort of like uncertainty of how, how long his life was going to last. He was doing loads of treatment and loads of chemo and, and all this stuff. And he just didn't know how long he was going to live, but he just didn't want to die on the sofa. Um, he ended up living for another two years through a lot of treatment and a lot of kind of stuff that he was going he 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 did all this experimental stuff that had been funded by the the strokes and the kings of leon sort of did this big uh 
benefit concert for him and he got you know he was able to fund this um, experimental treatment that just essentially kept him alive for a little bit longer but he was just the coolest guy I've ever met in my life and he was just so you know I, I, I never got the chance to tell him how much he taught me about myself and what he actually did for me moving on from that point um, and I wish that I did I wish I told him because it, it, he he sort of changed the course of my career from that point and got me back to realizing what what it was that I you know what what was important because it wasn't training to him and fitness to him wasn't anything about his aesthetic it was just about feeling a little bit better and just feeling a little better every day um, even when he was feeling like shit you know just feeling terrible he, he came he'd come into the gym and he had that like a mobile chemo unit strapped on his hip and I just I just sit there and I'd be like Brett are you are you all right to work out today and he'd be like yeah I feel a bit nauseous but I'm okay and I'm like <laughs> you know and then I'd see someone that you know someone else would be complaining about an exercise and I'm like no you can't <laughs> you, you don't do that yeah <laughs> you don't do that when Brett's here no because Brett's going through a lot worse stuff than you are oh, so wow. it sort of it, it you know it reminded me why I did what I did and 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 unfortunately it, living in New York was tough it was a lot of work and it was you know incredibly hard to be there so I decided to move back to London for a few different reasons um, but I thought that I wanted to be back at home back where I came from and so I sort of moved back to London and tried to navigate life again in back in a different country it felt like I was in a different like I didn't even though I knew London really well it felt like I was in a different country it didn't feel like home to me. Um, so after a few different things, I was doing some coaching and I was working in a few different gyms. I decided to, um, that I decided that I wanted to open my own gym. And so Glove London was born, um, funded by myself. Um, I just decided to create this pop-up boxing studio so I could build my brand it was more of just like a marketing thing I, d I decided that I wanted to set this boxing rig up in different locations around London and then spread my brand and my ethos and how I felt about training which was you know you know forget all the aesthetics forget you know the glossy images and uh, and and you know and sort of sex cells and six packs and all that kind of stuff and just take it back to the sort of bare roots of it and say you know exercise makes you feel better exercise is good for your mental health um and 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 sort of never use that the other side of it for advertising and only stick to kind of you know promoting health and wellness and and and, and a good attitude and a good positive attitude and so i ended up doing a few pop-ups um, and they went really well and it was well received and i got um i was getting contacted at that point by bigger brands that wanted to work with me like adidas and um and then uh, Soho House Group that got me in to do a pop-up a pop-up with their with one of their locations just north of London. Um, and so that was going really well. And uh, and I kind of had this plan laid out of where I was going to go with it next. And, and and you know I wanted to 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 try to take it to a few places, and then get enough kind of interest around the brand where then you know I could look for funding and then try to open up. Um, another location a permanent location maybe um, and then you know over this whole time and probably longer than that I had this pain in my arm 
Am I going to? Am I going too far ahead? Or dude, uh, do you do your thing? <laughs> <laughs> this is like, why you're here. These are questions that I should. You, no, you no. Know, well, like, I was going to end up asking these questions anyway, so you're just doing your own thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like going through. You, you don't know, need the, me here. The just, timeline. Just chatter away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had this pain in my my elbow, kind of in my forearm, and maybe for five or six years I went to doctors about it and they sort of told me it was a torn muscle and I just you know due to the nature of my job and boxing a lot and I just figured that that was probably quite accurate so um, I'd have physio done on it and I did you know um, electrotherapy and all these different things and it never really nothing helped or nothing worked so um, I ended up going to see a specialist that then sent me to another specialist that just sent me to another specialist. And this is the NHS in London. So, you know, you get thrown around a lot and you have to wait a long time between appointments. So Sounds like Canada. <laughs> yeah, social health care yeah. is great, right? Yeah. <laughs> there are downsides. <laughs> there are downsides. There's some upsides. I mean, they, they are incredible, incredible for certain things. But, you know, the, the waiting times are always a bit hard. Yeah. So by the time that I kind of got seen properly for this and had an ultrasound it had been about a year since i actually first went to properly you know properly sort it out um at which point they looked at it and they said well we're not sure what it is but it looks like some kind of vascular malform uh, malformation or something that we could just maybe open up and have a look at and see if it's something we can remove or something we need to kind of move out the way and so they booked in a, I got booked in for a surgery and they went in and I had the surgery up, you know, it was put under, um, and it was a pretty big surgery, <clears throat> but they did the surgery and took out what they, what they thought was just, uh, something called a nerve cell tumor, which is benign. And they, um, they didn't think there was anything wrong with it. And the doctor actually, he, he said to me, he said, I've seen a lot of nasty stuff and it doesn't look nasty. And so. I just went about my business. I didn't really think about how, you know, I didn't think about it ever being anything bad because he, he, he almost reassured me that it wasn't going to be something bad. And you're young, you're healthy. You know, that's not typically where cancer manifests, either right. in your own eyes or the eyes of most doctors. Absolutely. And um, it wasn't until about four weeks after that when I was going through the recovery process and just trying to figure out when I could get back in the gym again, that I got the phone call to go to the doctors. Um, you know, and I got this phone call from the doctor and it was just so weird because I was up a mountain and I was like <laughs> in the Lake District, just like hiking with some friends and um, Lake District sort of, it's about six hours north of London, um, up in the north of England and it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite places in the world. I was up there hiking and I got this phone call and they said that I needed to come in for some lungs, lung scans. And I was like, why lung scans? Like what's going on? I just had a surgery. And I thought, I even said to the doctor, on, uh, the, the nurse on the phone, I said, you know, is this, have you got the wrong person? Like, <laughs> am I, you know, are you sure you're asking? the same thing. Like to go from arm to lung, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I was like, what's going on? So they just said that they needed me to come in for scans, but because they were doing the scans, they weren't actually the doctors, they were just doing the scans and they couldn't really tell me anything about it. So I was sitting there Googling the hospital and the doctor and trying to figure out what it could possibly be. And I went to, um, and then I went, so I went for the scans, I came back 
to London, went for the scans, um, and then and then had a follow-up appointment on the Thursday with the doctor. And I like walked into the room and the, the doctor was sitting there and then there was a nurse and she had a badge on saying um, Macmillan Cancer Hospital. And I just sort of sat down and I was like, what? What? <laughs> Wait a minute. What? And then they're, they're so blasé about it. He, he, he sort of went, how you doing? I was like, well, I'm a bit confused to be honest. And he went, yeah, no, I understand that. It's a, you know, it's a bit of a process. And he said, you got cancer. And I, <laughs> I just, my heart sunk. My mum was with me and it was lucky that she was because after he said that, I didn't hear anything. I think that's really common. I think yeah. that's why they often end up saying to, to take someone with you to the doctor because you don't, especially if it's something shocking, you, yeah. you don't even think about which questions to ask. You don't hear or absorb anything that is said after that. Like no one is ever expecting to hear something like that. You never expect it. I mean, and, and I suppose you would never expect to get cancer. Well, I don't think anyone expects to get cancer. Although, funnily enough, when I, talking about Brett Kilrow, my, uh, you know, the guy that had stage four liver cancer, he, he was real rock and roll. And he'd sort of spent his whole life just boozing and smoking and whatever and doing drugs. And when, you know, he said to me, he said, when, you know, when I said to him, oh, you, it's horrible that it happened, you know? And he said, well, what did I expect, you know? I, haven't looked after my body at all he's like when I found out I got cancer I just was like oh well of course I've got cancer you know yeah and that's him accepting it but for me because I've always been healthy and always looked after myself I think it was even more so but I, I sat there and I was like how you know in my arm so um basically it was a um soft tissue sarcoma which um is one of one of the rarest forms of cancer that you can get and only they say they say that most GPs, most general practitioners, will never see it in their lifetime, and that's why when the surgeon took it out, he didn't know what it was. He said that it was just benign because he didn't know what it was. It didn't look; they don't look like a regular tumor, um, mm -hmm. and they also show up in places where is is pretty unusual. But usually, that is unusual. Arms or legs yeah, really? or abdomen. Oh wow! So. Um, but it's very, it, it's very rare, but it's also very aggressive. And so what usually happens is it uh, metastasizes in your lungs. It will go from your legs or your arm or somewhere like that to your lungs. And so that's why they wanted to do the lung scans with me. Um, now most cancers can or, or might metastasize in another area of your body. Um, but this specifically in, in I think it's like nine out of 10 cases will always metastasize in your lungs. And so that's why it's kind of a, um, that's why they have to be very careful about it and making sure that they check the lungs. Um, so I walked out the hospital, walked out the doctor's surgery and I just sort of walked, I walked through London. I was just, my mum was with me and she, she, she moved down to the coast of England a few years back. And so she, she went back and I just walked across London. I just was in a complete daze. I couldn't figure it out. Um, so they booked me in for another surgery. I went in for another surgery, got the, uh, they went back into it and they removed like a larger portion of the tumor bed. And uh, I got the, um, so they then uh, removed a larger section of the muscle and the tumor bed. And then 
uh, sent that away for histology and then I went about my healing process from there. Um, but it was another kind of six to eight weeks healing from this and also staying out the gym, uh, not being in the gym, which was really tough. Um, but then, yeah, so like I processed everything. I, you know, I realized that I had cancer and then I just had to find out what was next. And it wasn't until after all this had happened and I'd had the treatments and everything had, and, and everything was all clear, they then told me that I had to go back for checkups every three to six months for the next five years. And then after five years, they'll look at it and then maybe increase it to every year for 10 years. So it's kind of like I'm not in remission. I'm just in this weird limbo space where they it could come back at any time and I have to go for lung scans every three to six months for the next five years and then every year for another 10 years after that. It's just, you know, I, know, I, can't, I don't think I could ever sit there and say, well, I don't have cancer now. Um, and that was what was going through my head at that time. And then I tried to get myself back into work. I tried to sort of throw myself back into work and I just, it, it was impossible. I just couldn't, I couldn't go about helping other people when I was just in such a bad place myself. Um, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I thought recovery would just be a matter of recovering from the surgery and then kind of like moving back into life. Whereas it, it wasn't because all of the stuff that had happened affected me so badly. Um, I just sunk into a very dark, deep depression and I couldn't get out of bed in the morning and I couldn't lift myself off the sofa and I couldn't get to the gym. And when I did get to the gym, it wasn't doing anything for me. And I just, you know, I felt, I, I just felt horrible. I felt like I had a blanket pulled over my head. It's just so hard to explain depression, but you, you feel everything, but you feel nothing at the same time. It's numb, almost. Numb. Yeah. And so I just, had to figure something out. I went for doctor's appointments. They just wanted to put me on some medication. Um, and I tried to, I was trying to avoid that. Um, they then recommended CBT and I kind of was a bit, I, 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 that was probably what I would have done if, if I'd have stayed in London. But I was sitting with my mum one night and we were kind of having a conversation and I just decided, why don't I just come out to, somewhere like Bali. I mean, it was somewhere like Bali. I'd, I had these other ideas of maybe going traveling to different places. I was gonna to go to South America and maybe see a few places, but I thought I just need to be in one place that has good weather and is a little bit different. And so I just came out here and not expecting or not knowing what was gonna happen. You said it was very much on a whim too. Very much. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I booked, I made the decision on, the uh, 7th of March and flew on the 14th. Oh my God. Yeah. It's amazing. So a week, I booked the ticket for a, a, the week after I made the decision. And originally you were going to come for a month, right? Yeah. I was originally going to come for one month and then... And it's uh, now like seven, now months, seven months later. seven months later, yeah. <laughs> Six months later, however long. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> so, so what made you stay? Um, well... I think, I mean, a combination of things. When I came out here, I had no real plans to do, to work. I was just gonna take some time to myself. Um, and then I 
started chatting to the guys at Nest, at Changu Nest, and they, they said, you know, one of the guys had said, well, we, there's actually, we need a, a sub for a boxing coach um, because the main boxing coach was going away for a, a few weeks. And he said, do you want a sub? And I was like, sure, great. Like, keep me busy, like do something while I'm out here. And so I subbed a few of the classes with no intention of maybe even staying longer after he'd come back. But then while I was there, <clears throat> uh, they asked me if I'd be interested in um, coaching some of the other classes as well. And obviously I've got a quite extensive background in, in, in training and in strength and conditioning and all different types of training. Um, I, I, was, I sort of said, sure, you know, whatever, I'll do that. And then I guess they liked my energy. <laughs> and so they, were, they, they asked me to stay longer and I decided to stay longer. So um, that's basically what happened. <laughs> I, I need to brag about Tom for a minute because... <laughs> Just wait till the scooter goes past yeah, so they can hear you. That's true. <laughs> then we do this at the gym too so that you don't have to shout over the scooters going by. It's just life in Chengdu. Um, yeah, I need to brag about, about Tom for a minute because I met you at Chengdu Nest. Uh, you were the first trainer that I worked out with there. And you, I, I, for anyone who doesn't know, I, I have a background in fitness as well. So, and I have a lot of friends in the industry as well. You are definitely uh, the highest caliber trainer I have ever worked out with. And I wow. was extremely impressed you. with you and your energy is just always through the roof. Like just such a positive vibe that is very welcoming. And there's always new people coming into the gym because it's a holiday destination as well and that can be really intimidating for a lot of people and you do such an excellent job and the gym in general does a really great job of bringing in new people and making everyone feel welcome which is a big deal because even as someone who um has a background of fitness it's still very intimidating to walk into a new gym sure and not know you know where the equipment is and who is doing what and what's the workout going to be like and yeah yeah so that's that really speaks to how both you and Nest in general have really handled that, but you in particular are by far the, the best trainer that I have worked with. Thank you. I'm really well bad deserved. at taking compliments. But <laughs> I can like, see how uncomfortable you are right now. You're like curling up into yourself. <laughs> I, uh, it's actually really hard. To, it is because I think that's, it's funny because it's not why I do it for, for the kind But I think of that's validation. why you're so good at it because you're not in it right. for that kind of validation. But it is, I mean, I suppose, What's nice about hearing that is that it makes me realize that I'm doing my job properly mm -hmm. because that's what I'm trying to achieve. I'm trying to give people that feeling that they're comfortable and that they're, in, and, and, you know, they're and that they're getting knowledge and, 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 but also a good workout and, you know, and all those things combined. And that, yeah, that's like when you work for yourself, which I essentially do, it's that to me is like the equivalent of getting, you know, like a good job pat on the back by your boss you know when they're yeah. just like you've been working really hard on something and, and and someone says good job you know yeah and you go okay cool it's well deserved it's very well deserved thank you <laughs> okay i won't continue to make you uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> be inching towards the door i got to go now <laughs> um so when i met you then i started uh checking you out on instagram 
and as as one does in this day and age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you were talking a lot very openly about mental health advocacy and cancer and uh, what you have been through. And I was just really drawn to that, which is why you were only the second time I've ever had a male on the podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm honored. I'm you should honored. be. You should be. Um, I feel like we have a lot to talk about now that we have sort of gotten through your main yeah. story. First that of all, that was quite the story. That was I a really big story. Yeah, that, that's, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. what, what drew you to boxing initially? Because you you almost went to the Olympics at one point. Right. I just trained through. Um, I mean, I, I I was I've been into boxing since I was young, and then it it I got drawn to the sport when I was really young, uh, like ten years old, um, and then I I basically it was just competition. It wasn't about um, competitive boxing was never enjoyable. <laughs> it's never enjoyable to get punched <laughs> in the face. I was going to say, yeah, get beaten um, up. <laughs> I think that boxing boxing's a funny sport because if you look at um, most boxers, they are, mo- most boxers come from poverty. Most boxers come from hardship. Mm. They don't come from affluent families. I don't come from an affluent family, but most you know, if you've got something else going for you, you're not going to choose boxing because it's more of a necessity. It's a necessity. Yeah. You know, they, they don't fight because they want to. They fight because they have to. Mm-hmm. Because it's a maybe just the one thing that they're good at that that gets them out of where they're from. But it it just it, it's a necessity. And so when you're not that way, or you know you have another something else you can do you're not gonna choose getting punched in the face. So that's why I got out of boxing. And so, but it's always something that I love to do and something that I continue to teach and coach through my career. And so I, you know, have, uh, it's always been a big part of my life since then. Um, But it's not so much of a big part of my life anymore because I've since, you know, fallen back in love with just general coaching kind of all areas of um of exercise you know um and so yeah is that <laughs> i think i asked the question there maybe? no you kind totally did you totally did <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i love it it's like a it, it's you know it's um it's a great sport for empowerment and and feeling powerful and feeling strong and getting out those stresses and i think in terms of feeling better and happy that's probably one of the best things that you can do um so probably most of my you know uh most of what i've ever done and what i will continue to do will be around boxing okay yeah so what about um tell us a little bit more about depression and how that kind of looked like for you and how you other than bali Mm. how did you sort of pull yourself out of that and how do you continue to do you ever feel like like you're kind of like keeping it at bay? Like it's like around the corner? Um, I think that, so it's funny because I, all the things that I do, I had to go through something really big in my life to realize how I should be living my life. And it should never take something massive like that in order for me to live just how we should be living. You know, the way, what Bali's done for me, and, but m- not just Bali, but also 
having cancer and then going through something so bad, it's made me realize how important it is to be present, how important it is to be happy, how important it is to not get annoyed at little things that, you know, that I, I used to get annoyed at. Um, and then sort of having a toolbox of things that I can go through in ways to kind of make myself feel positive and make myself feel happy. I, I don't feel like we need to go through something that bad in order to have that stuff. I feel like everyone should have that toolbox. And so I feel now that I feel like everyone, everyone has, everyone is keeping depression at bay by whatever they're doing in their life every day. I think so too. I think everyone is, is keeping anxiety at bay <clears throat> with whatever, the, whatever it does, that they, whatever they do every day to keep it away. So one thing I learned since coming out here was just how to put this sort of toolbox of things together so that when I wake up in the morning, I can address it and then get on with the rest of my day and like be happy. And you know, being in an environment like in a gym environment, you know, one of the main things is that I can't be, even if, I'm, even if I wake up and I'm in a bit of a bad mood, I can't bring that to the gym. Mm -hmm. I can't bring my bad mood into the gym environment and make other people and put other people in a bad mood. So I know that I've got to get up, get dressed, get out the door, smile, and, and just get after it and make people feel happy and, and help those other people to feel happy as well because it brings me just as much joy and satisfaction seeing other people having a good time and, and you know, and, and exercising and sweating and feeling good afterwards, as I'm sure it does to them. So, yeah, I'm keeping, I'm keeping depression at bay, <laughs> but I'm doing it because that's just how you should live. Yeah. You know, I've just learned how to live properly. And that's what Bali's done for me. It may, it, 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 you know, it, and maybe not just Bali, but, you know, cancer. It's crazy to say it, but cancer... <laughs> And depression made me a better human, I think. <laughs> I just, yeah. But is it, it is interesting how we can take like trauma in our lives and the, the worst experiences in our lives and turn that around to make it the best thing to happen to us. And you've been very yeah. open talking about that, that, you know, this cancer came into your body uninvited and yet you've turned it around in a way that has made it the absolute pinnacle yeah. of where you needed to be next. But you have to, right? Yeah. Because... If you don't, then what happens is you live in uh, you live in a dark place. If you if you don't make it a positive, then everything's going to be a negative. If I sit there and think about the next ten years of my life getting these lung scans and the chance that maybe cancer is going to come back, if I sit there and think about that every day, it would bring me down and it puts me in a really dark place. So I have to be positive because that's the only way to live. Because the other side is dark and dingy and horrible and I don't want to be there. You know, and you can be anywhere in the world and you could be affected by that. It doesn't matter if you're in a miserable dark country where it's gloomy all the time or if you're in a beautiful sunny country. It, you know, if you let those negative things get into you, then it'll affect you wherever you are in the world. And so, yeah, I, I feel like 
from going through that and then realizing that the only way is being positive like the only way that i can live is with a with with a is is being happy um that sort of made it that's made that's what's changed my life and made like i think made me better so what's what else is in your toolbox your personal um, toolbox. My personal it, toolbox. I bet everyone else is gonna, everyone's going to have something a little bit different. It's very it's personal. Unique. Yeah. It's unique. Yeah. yeah. Um, my personal toolbox. Um, <laughs> smiling at people every day, like trying to just like be nice to strangers, people who work in cafes. Um, no matter what, if I'm in a bad mood and I go to my coffee shop in the morning, and you know, it, you know, you always see these things, memes, or you know people will write these kind of quotes like, oh, don't talk to me before I've had my coffee in the morning or whatever it is. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> there's no excuse that for that bullshit. No, there's no excuse for that bullshit. Like, go and smile at someone. Yeah. Just because it's a good thing to do. It's just your duty as a human being to just be nice to other people. Simple. It's very simple. It doesn't take much. So I do that. Um, you know, this is something I've started doing more since I came out to Bali. I've always tried to do it, but this is something I've started doing more is um, writing down the things that I'm grateful for in the morning because I'm so grateful. You know, I got cancer, but, but some people get a lot worse cancer. There's always something that you could be grateful for. I'm so grateful that the cancer hadn't spread to my lungs. That's just one thing, but it's a huge thing. I'm just grateful for, you know, even though the NHS was an absolute nightmare, I'm just grateful that I was living in a country, i.e. not in America, where it didn't cost me anything to have the treatments that I had to have. Yeah. And that's just, th these are bigger things, you know, but, but there's other stuff. Just being grateful for the fact that I can move my body. Sometimes I go to the gym and I'm just, I, you know, I try to do a workout and I, I just don't, I can't do it. It's just not in me for whatever reason. I'm tired. I didn't have a good night's sleep, whatever. But I moved my body to the gym. I got up, I got out of bed. I moved my legs. I'm grateful for that. So those things, like finding those things that I'm grateful for every single day, no matter what it is, is something that's really important to me. So that, you know, writing down things that are grateful. Um, setting intentions, trying to you know, which they kind of come together, but being grateful for stuff and then how can I then, you know, what's my intention for the day in order to make my life a little bit better? I'm just in a healing journey. So, but this healing journey is going to last forever. It's going to be the rest of my life. I just set good intentions and what I can do if it's just, you know, I'm going to go and smile at a stranger today or have a conversation with a stranger or, or talk to someone in the gym about their problems and, and, and be be an, just you know be a be a good ear for someone so whatever that might be um and then the other one this is the big one is staying off instagram <laughs> like if i'm not feeling great i'm just like nah not today instagram that's like, a good I'm reminder not, i'm not looking on instagram today and scrolling through and seeing those things that might bother me or not, you know, trigger you, trigger me yeah. or whatever it is. I just have to, you know, being positive is the main thing that's in my toolbox. Like the positive, you know, I know that I wake up, I want to be positive. I want to smile at people. I want to be happy. And so I can't allow like negative things to get into that space. You know, I've got to kind of fight it off. 
you know, and I've got something in my hand that I can just, I can put myself through that and be like, oh God, this is horrible. I hate it. I hate Instagram. I hate you. I hate you all. And then all of a sudden I've just done it to myself. I've let the negativity in and it was my fault. <laughs> I think we all need to reevaluate our relationship with social media. hundred percent. Yeah. And on a regular basis, it's not a one and done thing. Yeah. It's an ongoing thing. Yeah. You said a lot of really great things there. Especially the power of, of a smile. I'm going to embarrass you again for a minute. <laughs> I know you can't see Tom right now, but Tom has a smile that will light up a room. So, okay, I'm done embarrassing you. So tell, yeah, us, about, <laughs> tell us about the power of a smile. Because a smile. this is like a big thing you talk about and yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, years and years ago, I had, uh, you know, my, um, my mom, um, she, she told me this um, story she was at. She was in North Carolina. She was at a hospital. She, um, there was this, you know, they had this idea. She was working at a hospital. She had this idea that like, some laughter was the best medicine. And so she would go and she would like make people laugh <laughs> in the hospital because she felt that like it would make people feel job. better, right? Like, That's amazing. You know, and she wasn't just going there as a comedian. She was also working there as a nurse, but she was, <laughs> you know, but like the power, like, you know, the power of laughter and laughter being the best medicine. I probably didn't take it in at the time just because, you know, I was a teenager and I thought, well, yeah, whatever, mum. But but I just think that when you smile in yourself, you can't be unhappy with a smile on your face, right? (laughs) It's actually been shown. Yeah, like it it starts to make you happier. It starts to make you happier when you smile. It's like a a chemical reaction. You smile (laughs) and all of a sudden you're like, okay, um, I, you know, this is, this is probably very weird, but I like, <laughs> sometimes I'll go onto YouTube and just watch, you know, like a stupid video or whatever it might be. <laughs> like I know, you know, I'll get into a bit of a vortex. I'm just like, oh, watching like someone with a pet giraffe or something like that. But I just, it's, it makes you laugh and it makes you, you know, it's these things that make you chuckle and that's why we have comedy and that's why we, you know, we have these things because laughter makes you feel good and smiling makes you feel good. So I know the power of a smile. I know that if I wake up in the morning and I laugh about something or smile about something, then it feels good. And so if you walk out the door and you just start smiling at people, you're going to get like a lot of people who are like, who's this crazy guy? (laughs) Why is he smiling at me? But then occasionally you'll see someone crack a smile back and they'll be like, and you're like, all right. This is spreading. And I just think that that person probably walked along and was like, that guy was crazy. But they're smiling, right? They're, they're probably walking along with a big smile on their face going, what, that lunatic was it? But they're smiling about it. And so it's just infectious, you know? It and is. I just think if I ever am in a group setting and with a load of people and I'm kind of, you know, some people are nervous or they're scared of being in the gym. It's their first time. And, you know, I can't, I've got to make them feel comfortable. I have to give, and, and if I can just do that with a smile, it's such a powerful thing without even saying something. And, it, and it's, and it, you know, it, it, there's no language barrier with a smile. You That's can't, true too. You know, if someone smiles at you, generally, it means that they're, a, well, I mean, Except if it's a don't take monkey. this as gospel, gospel <laughs> yeah. Like, you might get someone who smiles at you and then, then they'll, you know, do something really bad. But just, you know, it, for the most part, if someone's smiling, it, means they're happy it's like a dog wagging its tail or whatever it is like you know that it it shows it shows it's obvious it's a very obvious thing you look at someone 
you know, I think you can even tell when you're talking to someone on the phone if they're you smiling. You can, right? you can. And even when I when I teach people about podcasting, I'm like, if you smile when you're talk when you talk, people can hear that. Yeah, they can feel the smile. It's they a different can feel energy. The energy. It is. Yeah. It's a totally different energy. So that's it. That's the power of a smile. I think people should do it more often. I think people should take that into their day to day. You know. And you smiled throughout talking about this. <laughs> it makes me smile. I love it. it makes me so happy to think about that. To think about <laughs> smiling and think about being happy. It's really powerful. Yeah. It is. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, One of the things that always struck me about your website was your discussion about uh, toxic masculinity. Yeah. And you and I talked a little bit about this before we jumped on. And I would Mm -hmm. love to hear your take on it because there's been a lot of discussion, I feel like, in the online space and stuff more recently about things like toxic masculinity. And what what does that really mean to you? And especially in a gym setting because as we know it can be even yeah. kind of more rampant in that type of environment well i think i think i was always uh programmed by my peers because it wasn't necessarily by my dad because i don't he i don't I mean he wasn't a huge part of my life growing up and so I don't think he was a particularly mask not masculine, he's a masculine guy, but he never like put that on me uh, or had enough time to put that on me. Um, but I think it was more so by my peers, by my friends, by my friendship groups, by being at school, you always had this idea that you had to be a tough guy and you had to be, you know, masculine and, and, and you know, you couldn't talk about your feelings or talk about, you know, if something wasn't going well, um, having that discussion and telling someone that it wasn't going well, you know, that you weren't feeling good in your mental health. And something like boxing too is a particularly masculine sport. Yeah, yeah, and sport. Go, being in a sport like that was, yeah. you know, and then, and then also working with kids and working with kids and in, in, later on down the line and, and you've got to show yourself as a, you know, a strong coach and, and, you know, someone that they'll look up to and see as a man and, and not knowing how to be that man, you know? how can I you know can I be that can I be a man to them but also talk about feelings and talk about you know sensitivity with these people and so it was always a bit hard to understand and my friends that I have I've known for quite some time a long part of my life and some of them I feel more comfortable talking with about stuff and some of them I don't because I would be worried that they think I was not being a man or whatever. And I think that's just the way that they're programmed. Well, sometimes I think that we go to different people for different things too. Yeah, sure, yeah. And I think that they weren't, it's not that they aren't friends of mine, but I think they're also programmed to kind of put on this tough guy image and not just be, you know, be open or vulnerable. And in a gym environment, it just is rife because everyone's a tough guy and every guy in there wants to throw their weights around and like it just becomes this like peacocking, <laughs> like, I don't know if I can swear here, but like a you dick can say sw- whatever a, you want, <laughs> a dick swinging competition, you know, where they're just like, you know, oh. and, and Instagram's then, made it worse. The yeah. selfies and like, <laughs> yeah, and it's just this thing where I think it's not just a masculine thing. I think it's also you know, spurred on by, you know, like women as well. It's, it can be, 
it's but it's a horrible place because what it does is it creates a very closed space where people don't feel safe to talk they don't feel like they can be vulnerable and show their vulnerability they don't feel like they can go to someone else for help and that is why male suicide rates are so high that is why men suffer so badly from mental health issues because they feel like they have to keep it in and they can't cry and they can't be vulnerable and I even kind of experienced that when I went through my depression because I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone and it was really hard to talk to people and I've got a really good friend of mine and I, I love him for this because he doesn't know how to talk right he's so awkward and he and, and I would be like oh you know this is happening and I'm going through this and I was like I've got cancer and he was like his response was just like shit <laughs> and I was like yeah shit right? <laughs> and um he and I said I was like he's like well what's what's going on and I said well I've got to have a surgery um you know and he said but is everything going to be okay and I was like yeah I hope so and then he said well hopefully they don't have to cut your arm off oh my but God. but he said it in a way that I knew that he was just trying to be like, trying to lighten the mood, lighten the mood a little yeah, bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, because it's a serious, there's some serious shit that you're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. And it made me laugh, right? And I was like, <laughs> Fuck. and when I was in a really dark place, that's just what I needed, yeah. you know? And so he doesn't know it, but it was probably the best thing that happened. At that, like from all the responses I was getting to telling people, he probably gave the best response. Sometimes the jokes are needed. <laughs> I needed a laugh, like I needed a smile, and that, you know, and so. I don't know. I mean, it's a really hard. Um, I think more people are talking now. I think more people are being vulnerable. But showing vulnerability can be what I've learned to be the biggest strength that I have. Mm -hmm. And I, before I started putting stuff up on social media, I would sit there and analyze everything I was writing and be like, oh, can I put this up? Like, what are people going to think of me? Are my friends going to think I'm, you know, not being tough or like I'm you know I'm being I don't want to say being a girl but like that's what I guess people would think you know he's being he's not being a man you know he's being a girl and then I just broke through that and I thought who cares you know who gives a shit like if that person doesn't think if that if, if that person thinks that I'm being that way then they don't know me they don't need they, I don't need people like that in my life so I just started doing it I, st I just put up what I was thinking or whatever it was in my head you know, just throw it up and then whatever the response might be, then that's the response I'm going to get. Some people won't like it. Some people might learn something from it. And how did you notice the response change once you started doing that? I think, funnily enough, I got a lot of good responses from people that I wasn't expecting to get a good response from. Um, and so maybe I was putting a lot of stress and pressure on it myself where I thought people were going to be more concerned about it and they weren't. But I think that goes down to anything. I think... This is one of the, when you've got fear of, of discussing your feelings, but then you actually do discuss them and it's not that bad. And then you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad, you know? And the person that I thought maybe didn't want to talk or, or I couldn't talk to, actually I could talk to. And we make so, the conversation so much scarier in our heads yeah. before we actually do them. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you, you go, you can, and you can, you know, you can build it up and build it up with this fear and then, and then when you do get past that and you actually start talking, it's not that bad. So, you know, I realize now that 
part of the reason I think that this happened to me was so that I could help other people with with who might be going through the same thing or, or struggling with this, you know, struggling with that, whatever it might be, whether it's the cancer or depression or, you know, trying to step away from that masculinity and that toxic masculinity. I, I want to be that voice if I can be as much as I can. I don't, I don't know if I ever, I don't want, I don't care if I've got a massive following. That's the thing. <laughs> I don't want, like, I don't know if I, even, if I did have a huge following on social media, I would hope that I would only use it for the right, well, I know that I would only use it for the right reasons to help other people and not, you know, just trying to sell a protein shake or whatever it is that people do. Um, whatever those kids are up to these whatever days. Whatever those kids are doing on Instagram. <laughs> no, I do think that it's important too that um, we kind of address a little bit about women's role in toxic masculinity as yeah. well because there is a lot of perpetuating of that stereotype. As much as women... I hear a lot of women say that they want, you know, like the sensitive guy or the guy that can talk about his feelings. I, I've, I tend to see that then that doesn't end up actually translating to real life. Yeah. And that then there's still this expectation that males should just kind of like do their thing. Yeah. And that is that is shifting, but I still think it's it's a little slow. Like overall, men don't even live as long as women. I mean, suicide rates and stuff aside, that's why men's men just don't live as long is because they don't have the same support system yeah. that's been shown that that's why women live longer is because we have more support we talk to each other more we we open things up we have a, a better stronger social circle typically yeah. than men and i think more women need to be more supportive of encouraging men to kind of allow that to blossom yeah. with each other yeah absolutely and you know it's funny is because i think when like being a man i hear it all the time and i've heard more times than I, than I can count of people saying, well, I, I eat this I eat this food because I'm a man. I drink beer because I'm a man. You know, like it's still so archaic. Like, like ingrained. Yeah, ingrained yeah. in their brains that like, oh, I have to eat red meat in, you know, loads of it because that's what men do, you know. <laughs> like, well, you're, you might have a heart attack by the time you're 60 years old, but, you know, carry on. But it's, it's that idea. And I, I think there's so many different factors that weigh into that masculinity or that role of a man. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it, you see so much more now, I think, with women kind of like the, the powerful beings that they are are able to kind of take over in certain areas and like they're, you know, and, and, and you know, become... CEOs of companies and just become like, you know, the, the, because that's, they are strong, you know, inherently, I think, stronger than men. And so, you, you just know, got very popular on this podcast. <laughs> oh, I feel it. Though. I've said it a million times. Like, to, you, I've, I've been working in gyms for a long time now, and I see guys coming in and I'll see girls coming in. And when you see guys, you know, usually when you've got something, a workout going in a, in a group setting, the guys that give up will give up quicker than really the girls. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, like whether it's just them trying to they they give it their all in the first part of it and then they gas themselves out because they want to look tough or whatever yeah, it is. Especially like, in front of the girls. Yeah, right. <laughs> but like girls have got a lot more grit and determination, and in that respect, and I think like just having that power and having you know being powerful in that respect, you know, having the confidence then to go and do your own thing and like you know build your business it's just showing more and more now how successful women are and how they, they will continue to be even more successful. And I think that's, 
that's such a great thing because when that starts to take over, I think there's then a shift mm -hmm. where guys will it will level out a little bit where they can actually see where the, where where guys who maybe couldn't see women as their equals before will now see them as their equals because yeah right how can you not yeah if that's the case if you see you know if and rather than being um, feeling like um, what's the word like you're uh, scared of it or like it doesn't you know it, something that that makes you feel inadequate you see it as something that you, you can build yourself up or support you know support each other and being like successful or whatever it is that you're trying to do so yeah I think I think it's starting to I think there is a shift I think it's starting to change but it needs to be spoken about more mm -hmm. and it's still it, it continues the more and more I hear it I just I heard of a, a kid the other day from where I grew up in London that just killed himself it's just it's yeah. rife you know yeah. and so it's, there's, there has to be a change there, there, more needs to be done and so for my part I think my part in doing in what I'm doing right now is just being open and showing my vulnerability and um, and and what I've done to kind of help and heal myself and hope that someone might see that and maybe go and help themselves or you know or look to look to someone else for some help yeah so yeah what do you feel like one of the most important factors is for somebody who is just kind of at the at the very beginning of like either dealing with really difficult circumstances or trying to change something about themselves or dealing with some mental health difficulties? What's kind of like the first step that somebody can take? I think bringing it to the surface of whatever it is that you're going through, bringing it to the surface and then opening up about it is number one. And you might be so scared of talking about whatever it is, but it, it's the most important thing you're ever gonna do. Because bottling anything up, holding anything in, is just, it, it's, it's it'll, it'll like start to rot inside you and it just becomes like a horrible negative thing that will just, you know, it will spread through your entire body until it destroys you. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the most important things is just, bringing it to the surface and however it comes out or whoever it comes out to it just has to be the first thing that you do like break through talk to someone get get out that comfortable space that you or, or that you know get out that idea that that you're going to be looked at in a certain way or how someone might perceive you and just get it out there well i think a lot of times people can be really comfortable in their comfortable space mm. but then it starts to get to such a point that it starts to become too uncomfortable to stay comfortable. Yeah. And then they, they finally get forced to take a step forward because they've been stuck there for so long sure, that they yeah. just can't, they can't do anything but do make some move to get out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's really when it starts to shift. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I totally agree. What about working out? Working out. Cause I know that's such a, such a huge part of your, your life and your message and yeah. especially when it comes to mental health. Exercise to me has kind of, even when I, I, I probably got lost in, in at some stage along the way and cared more about my physical appearance than I probably should have. Um, even during those times, I knew deep down what exercise did for me. I knew that it was something I needed to do for my mental health just to feel better. Like whether I knew it was for my mental health or not, I knew that it made me feel better. I knew that 
it would give me a sense of euphoria that it would give me something where i you know where i could never walk away from it feeling crap i always felt better and so i've always tried to kind of put that into my programs and when i work with people i always try to whether whether they're you know in it just for weight loss or for whatever it is i always try to say you know does it make you feel better do you feel better when you exercise like how does it make you feel and you know that that just has been something that's gone through my whole career but now so now even more so i'm i'm understanding even more how important it is and it's not that part of it is not promoted enough you know even when people promote exercise for mental health like on one side then on the other side they're still talking about fat loss yeah it's like they'll put up a load of videos and it's like abs, 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 weight loss, fat loss, this, that, and the other. And then they'll be like, but work out for your mental health. And that just gets lost in the bottom of the pile. In the bottom of a pile of like the same ab workouts and the same information about weight loss and the same thing about calorie deficit and blah, blah, blah. And the sea of six packs on Instagram. The sea of six packs <laughs> on Instagram. And these people who are on there with their six packs out yeah. saying that it doesn't matter what you look like. Yes doesn't make sense to me like that just is so bizarre so that's you know trying to remind people that exercise is the most important thing that you can do for your mental health and whatever type of exercise it is i'm not saying you have to go to the gym and kill yourself in every workout but movement just movement just getting your body and moving it however you do that going for a walk going for a jog going for a, a bike ride just doing something that makes you just, you know, makes you a little uncomfortable. <laughs> just a little bit or just gets you moving, just gets your, the blood flowing. So, yeah, I, I think that that's, uh, you know, I'm trying to bring that up to the surface, but not doing it with all the other crap. Like, oh, this, you know, this is about, here's an ab workout that you can do at home. But also don't forget about your mental health. I want it to be like mental health, mental health, mental health, like, and these are some workouts that you can do because that's what's important and if it's important yeah. let's bring it to the let's bring it to the top of the list not all the other stuff other stuff other stuff and then mental health down here you know so and you definitely live by that because i've never once heard you talk about fat loss absolutely not no i would never not. and i will turn down a client if that is their only goal i love I would that not work with someone if they told me that they were just concentrating on fat loss or getting abs or getting a beach body there's someone that will do that for them and it's not me. Yeah. And I won't work with someone if that's the case because for me, it's about mindset. It's about being positive. It's about exercising because it makes you feel good. If you don't want to work out, that's fine. <laughs> Some people were like, I just want to eat food and go and never go to the gym, whatever. And like, <laughs> do, do you. If that's you, then go do it, whatever. I don't mind. Um, you might not live that long, but it's your body. Do what you will with it. But it's about how we get other people to understand that. If you're making that decision to not look after your body and then maybe die kind, you know, kind of early, then don't kind of give people, other people the impression that that's the right way to live. But in the same respect, if you wanna be out there and getting ripped and being shredded all the time, that's fine, you do you. I'm totally fine with that. If you want that, then that's cool, but don't, make other people think that that's the only way 
you can be healthy and happy and live a fulfilled life. When it comes to mental health for exercise, there is no bad side of that. There's not like, oh, well, there's some this involved or there's some gray area or this, that, and the other, or we don't want to make people feel that or think that. No, mental health, there's no bad, exercise for mental health, there's no bad thing there. There's no bad area around it. It just is going to make you feel better. And there's no secret formula. Like you need to eat this many calories and then work out this long mm. for this length of time and go on this diet. And there, there is none of that. <laughs> there is none of that for mental, for mental health. health. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is none of that. It's not like I'm saying to you, oh, well, you know, you should be watching your, your mental health deficit or whatever it is. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, there's, not, you know there's no restrictions to it. It's just yeah. go to the gym, do some form of exercise because you will feel better at the end of it. And if you're around positive people and you're around people who have a little bit of light, then you're going to feel better. And it just is all like a revolving door of like good things, you know? Like there's no bad stuff in there. It's just like all good stuff, smiles and happy people in the gym and like, oh, this- Such a magical world we live in. <laughs> yeah, like everyone's in there and they're just like, this is great. Just give me more of that. And I can honestly say that's what it's like every time I go to Nest. <laughs> good, that's what I want. It's just like a nest full of goodness I, Exactly, and that's yeah, why like, it's named that. <laughs> yeah, and it does, I mean, that's, that is something that has always been so important to me in every gym that I've ever worked at and every gym that I've owned is always been about like creating this inclusive, um, positive place where there's no negative, no negativity inside there. I remember you saying that there, you had a 65 year old grandmother yeah. who was coming oh, boxing to the gym be, because she just wanted to riddle, live longer. Beanie Riddle. <laughs> She was amazing. She's, maybe she's listening to this. She, I mean, I just, I'll send it to her just so that she can hear this. But <laughs> she was amazing. We had, uh, in my gym, we had, I mean, we had like a 14-year-old kid who was being raised by his grandmother. Um, she brought him into the gym for the first time. He'd never been in a boxing gym before. He had two left feet. It was hilarious. We ended up taking him to national uh, competitions. Oh, my gosh. Uh, to the Golden Gloves tournament. He still is boxing now wow um he was an in, in, incredible kid we you know we he, he did so much he, he he gave me back so much like he was such an incredible kid um and then we had beanie who was 65 years old walks into my gym one day and she's like i want to train i was like come on in <laughs> and she'd come in and she was you know she'd never boxed before and she couldn't do some of the workouts that she would come to the group classes where I'd be in there being like, right, we're doing a thousand punches and she'd just be on the bag, like going for it. But she didn't care. She was just in there because she wanted to live a little bit longer and see her grandkids grow up. And I was, and, and, and we needed her there <coughs> because it, it to, for the other kids, the young kids to see that as well. It was like this, you know, that everyone, kind of example, an example. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because kids, kids are sponges. Like they absorb yeah. what they see modeled for them, not what you tell them. Right. They have to see it to believe it. Exactly. Yeah. And they did, and they took it in. So, and, and you know, the the thing was that we had some amazing people. I still, that I'm I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I met through that gym, through through my gym ten years ago, over ten years ago, fifteen years ago. You know, and. Um, they always reach out to me and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll see my workouts and they're like, oh, I miss fight for your life workouts. <laughs> and I'm like, I miss you guys too, because I really do. Um, they were just such a great group of people. And 
some of the uh, people that came to the gym would sort of take these underprivileged kids under their wing and there was a couple there that would like buy them their boxing gear if they needed it for a competition help them out with their you know their education and it was incredible it just became this little family I mean it was I would have loved to have been able to keep it going it was something that meant so much to me but it just wasn't it was it there was something else I needed to do I know I knew there was somewhere else I needed to go yeah um and it, it just wasn't there at that point in time but it was it what it, it the memories I have and what it did and it, it's incredible well, clearly you had such an impact on them that they will always carry that with them as well. I hope so. I hope so. And, and not because special. of the validation, but just because I, like, it just feels so good to think that people, that I, that I did my job right, you know, mm -hmm. that I did something, what I was trying to do was make people feel that way and it worked. Yeah. And that's such a great feeling. I'm not a hero. I'm not a hero. When... People always say to me, oh, you know, oh, you went through so much with cancer. And I'm like, oh, yeah, but some people went through a lot worse than me or are going through a lot worse than me. I'm not a hero. I've just managed. I took something that was really bad and made it a positive because I had to, because that was the only choice. But I'm just doing I'm just living my life now the way that everyone should be living their lives. And I should have been living my life like that forever. But it took something big to, to turn it around for me. So now I just feel like it's my job to help other people understand that and maybe never get to that point, but just have those tools and those things to make them feel better. But I'm not a hero. I just, I just managed to turn something into a positive. And when people are like, oh, you've done, you know, well done you, well done you. I'm like, it's not, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate people saying that stuff and they're taking their time to be like, wow, really like so strong, but I'm not, I'm just, being human you know I'm just doing what humans should do and so it's all about how you handle what you're dealt yeah and certain people handle different things in different ways yeah but you also don't know how strong you are until you're given something that you have to do something with it yeah so then you get to choose what you do with it you learn pretty quickly very quickly, yeah, pretty quickly. <laughs> you're thrown into the fire and you got to figure it out <laughs> yeah exactly the deep end yeah 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 uh, someone sent me a quote saying uh, it was something like, you're not, um, I don't want to live my life thinking like the cards that I was dealt, like I wish, wish I had different hand of cards or whatever, but just be, you know, be happy with the cards that I've got regardless. It's not, you know, I can't change them. Yeah. So that's just life, right? That's what I've got to do. I've just got to get on with it try to be positive and try to then help other people in the way that I sort of help myself. It's been really powerful. Yeah. And this is another body thing. I'm thinking I'm going to get, bit, I know bitten, all the bugs. I know. Bitten it, by a mosquito. <laughs> now. Yeah. It's a sign yeah. to wrap up. Tell, <laughs> tell us what's next for you. Um, what is next? Well, I don't know. That was the thing I was basically like, okay, so we're jumping on. So you have to decide what you're doing with your life before you end. I mean, have I, covered the, have I covered all the things that we wanted to, uh, that you wanted like to talk about? I feel like we did. Have, do you feel like we've covered everything? <laughs> I think so, yeah. I feel is like... there anything else that you feel burning desire to discuss? No, I think, I think it's <laughs> such important stuff. I mean, I'm so happy to be able to just talk about this stuff because it, it, it's a, like if I have any kind of voice, I want it to be a positive one. And so if, if, it, if it reaches anyone then that's great. That's such a great thing. And I, I said that to you earlier. I, I just think that we, as human beings, like have 
kind of like a duty. Um, you know, philosopher Kant said this, that we have a duty as, as human beings to kind of be good to other people. And I think it's so true. We just, I, I, th I think, and, and I think that it need, it, like positivity breeds positivity, negativity breeds negativity. And so that's all I want to do is just like tell a little bit of my story or a little bit of what I've been through in order to, um, you know, just try to help other people heal. And so, yeah, I think that I've managed to get a lot of that across. <laughs> but what's next? I don't know 100%. I'm working on a few things out here in Bali. Um, I am working on something that I'm not going to call it retreat because it's not a retreat. Um, but I just think retreats nowadays are very much an exclusive thing. You, if you haven't got a lot of money, the chances are you're not going to be going on a retreat. Especially somewhere like Bali yeah. where a lot of the clients would be, you know, UK or North America where it's very far away. Yeah. To and you're fly. spending two to $3,000 yeah. on a, retreat where you spend a week um, doing, you know, high intensity exercise and, you know, maybe some yoga and eating <laughs> great food in the sunshine in a beautiful villa. But do you take anything away from that? And it just, it all depends on what you're looking for. Some people are looking for that experience, that's fine. But I want to figure out a way that, that people can heal um, or try to, better themselves but make it accessible for more people so for someone who maybe thought that they could never go to Bali um, you know I want to help people understand that it is something that's possible and you know whether I've got you know someone from over here who's got a lot of money and they're you know from a different walk of life to this guy over here I want them to understand that they have the same brains and they heal the same way and they need the same things in life to make them feel better and so my part in that being the exercise portion and being able to help people understand exercise for their mental health and just to feel better but then bringing in bringing in other experts in different fields to help people heal and then maybe I could get you know a guy who is from a low income um, and works on a building site maybe to a guy that works as a CEO of a company and actually have them sitting together and realizing that we all have the same brain, we all have the same things that we're working through. And so I don't know the exact ins and outs of it or how I'm gonna do that, but I will make it happen because that's just what I do. I believe you, I was gonna say, you, you, when you say you're gonna do something, you do it. So. I do it, yeah, I do it. If I say that I'm gonna go for it, then I'll go for it. If I'm gonna start something, I'm gonna give it a good shot and whether or not it works out, it might not, but I'm gonna give it my best shot. Sounds amazing. So that's, that's it really. And whether or not I, you know, I, I, I don't have any plans to leave Bali, so. You know, <laughs> we're just chatting about that. <laughs> yeah. I don't have, I don't know what I'm doing next, but all I know is that I'm not leaving Bali for a while. Yes. So why would you? Why would I? No, right? I, 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 mean, don't, I don't know that I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. If I could just paint a picture here right now, we're sitting outside <laughs> by a pool. Yeah. <laughs> the sounds you might hear in the background are some beautiful trees, palm yeah, trees or palms something, of beautiful some palms kind. of yep, some kind, yep. rustling away. <laughs> against the bamboo fence yes you know there's a there's a strange kind of like frog sculpture in the corner 
for anyone who's been watching my Instagram stories, that was like the, the peeing thing that I had to make them turn off. So it's beautiful. It you is. know, the, 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 to have this every day, to have these opportunities to be in these beautiful places, I feel so lucky every day. I Me wake too. up and I'm, I feel lucky that I'm able to live like this. I'm so lucky. I'm lucky that I can ride a scooter you know, to breakfast at a different place every single day. I mean, it, it's incredible. I wake um, up and I open the drapes and I'm like, oh my God, I, I live here. And then I walk down the street and go to the awesome gym and yeah. go for brunch. I'm like, what? Yeah. Basically <laughs> just this, ev- everyone come to Bali, but not everybody, <laughs> you know, just, just. We don't want it overrun. <laughs> yeah, no, no, overrun. <laughs> but just, uh, you know, come here for a holiday or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just continue living here. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's so, I mean, that, that, that's it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful place. It's, it's giving me exactly what I need right now. Uh, and, and right now being kind of the most important factor because I'm living more in the present now than I ever have. And I think that that has something to do with taking a closer look at your mortality in yeah. face than most people your age especially absolutely yeah um you do accept you know you have to you have to understand that pretty quick that we only have right now mm-hmm. we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring but we have to be comfortable with that we have to find comfort in the fact that we're not we just don't know if i worry about it if i worry about my next lung scan if i worry that the cancer might come back i can't live my life and that's the bottom line i live i'll live my life but it'll be filled with fear and anxiety and stress and and all those things that are horrible those words are not nice words <laughs> and we attach a lot of meaning and energy to certain words yeah so i think that's a really important distinction absolutely i mean you know you don't you don't talk about fear and anxiety and stress in a good way we're talking about that in a bad way and if those are the feelings that i'm going to kind of get from from living you know not living in the present then it's it's just it's pretty simple that i don't want to live that way (laughs) why would you want to (laughs) but people do and that's the crazy thing is that people live that way because they don't have the tools or they haven't put that toolbox together in in, in, to figure out how to not live that way you know so just, you know, be positive. <laughs> <laughs> the overarching theme of this podcast yeah. interview. <laughs> so where can we find you? Uh, where can you find me? Well, Other than in Bali. <laughs> if, uh, just, I'm in Bali, guys. Just come to Bali. I'm here. You know, just come and find me. Um, you can find me at Glove London, which is my Instagram handle or however it might change. So, but I think it should just be Tom McClelland. And then I'm somewhere in that. I list can always of, update show notes. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be somewhere on that list of Tom McClellan's. Um, but Tom, no middle name McClellan. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I uh, yeah, so I'm I'm there, and um, I'll be here for a little while. Changu Nest. I'll be at Changu Nest in Bali for some time. I'm sure they're yeah. um, a great bunch of people. I don't feel like I'm working for a boss I just you know I just feel like I'm able to go there and provide something really amazing and work in an incredible space um, and meet incredible people so that's you know I'm going to be there for a while even until you know the other projects that I'm working on are not going to be for a little while but you know I'm going to be sticking around at Nest for some time so, <laughs> you know all the people in Bali or that are coming to Bali 
a I'll bit. be around, too. Okay. <laughs> one final question I always wrap up with is if you could offer people one piece of advice on growing into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be? Oh, well. You're allowed to repeat. If you feel like you've already said something. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I think I've kind of this. covered that. Um, um, you can just like re-highlight something that you said if that's. I mean, this is this is a, this is probably a quote that gets thrown around too much, but it's quite. I think it's quite important. Is um, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, mm. because it, in so many ways, if you are uncomfortable about the fact that you can't, that you don't have to be a man all the time, then get comfortable with the fact that you don't have to be a man every time. It's just, it, it's just a matter of finding comfortable, being comfortable in a situation that feels uncomfortable. If it's talking about your feelings, if it's being vulnerable, if it's, you know, living in depression or whatever it might be, you're gonna feel uncomfortable trying to break away from that, but you've just gotta find some comfort in it, whatever it might be. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of it. That's how I've managed to get to this point. I didn't know what was happening for me in Bali. I didn't know what was going to be there. I didn't. I definitely was getting out of my comfort zone, just moving to a different country. But I had to do it, and it has been every time I've moved to a different place or every time I've opened a new business. I've felt completely uncomfortable and terrified, absolutely shit scared. But I've just done it because that you've got to do it. You've got to do it. That's 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 like that's the way I've always lived my life. Is I have to do it. I have to figure it out. Try it see if it works if it doesn't work it doesn't work you know again it's kind of throwing yourself into the deep end and there's nothing that will make you learn about yourself faster than doing that absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> this has been so special thank you thank you so much i'm so appreciative i really appreciate it <laughs> it's been amazing and the fact that we got to do an an in-person one is even more special i love it thank you tom thank you <laughs> I hope that you guys enjoyed getting to know Tom. He has such a powerful message and I was just so excited to be able to bring this episode to you. I just wanted to let you know that since our discussion, Tom did end up changing his Instagram handle. It's now Tom X McClelland on Instagram and that's all referenced over in the show notes at roomtogrowpodcast.com. Please reach out to Tom. I know he would love to hear from you. Send us your feedback. Both of us, I'm over at Emily Goff Coach on Instagram. We would love to hear how you enjoyed this and your biggest takeaways from this. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to the Room to Grow podcast today. I'm so incredibly grateful that you took the time because it means the absolute world to me. For any references in the episode and all show notes, be sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com. And if this episode touched your heart, it would mean so much if you would take a quick second to hit subscribe, write a review, and share on social media or with someone who really needs to hear today's message. It makes such a difference to keep this podcast going so that I can continue to bring you amazing content and absolutely incredible guests. Be sure to tag me over on Instagram at Emily Goff Coach so that I can thank you in real time for listening and connect with you. We're back every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday with brand new episodes, and I am looking forward to growing with you.